Eat up with tax, don't know what to do. The Bryson's are here for you. We know every tip and trick. The serious tax talk with us. Louisiana Twist. Welcome back, everyone. We're here for today's episode of Talking Tax. It's Carrie and Angie Bryson again. And today we have a very interesting topic, I believe. Well, interesting for us, but maybe not for everyone. We actually are going to get into solving cases. Right. Uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of an important fact to what you need to know and understand right. when trying to resolve your IRS tax liability with the IRS. You have a tax problem. This is probably yes. pretty interesting. And, and it's one, I think it's one that on its face is very misunderstood by people that don't understand how to use it appropriately. And it's an area, I don't want to say, but I'll say the IRS takes advantage of people in this regard because they don't really know how to work the, work the numbers. And on their face, I think it's somewhat misleading. Yeah. I think this is an area where the IRS really takes advantage of people. So what we're talking about is the taxpayer's ability to pay. And there's two real big factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the IRS is going to determine while resolving your case. And one is ability to pay and the other is collection potential. So today we're just going to focus right. on ability to pay. Right. So I guess we'll start. Angela, you you look like you're ready to tell everybody what ability to pay is all about. <laughs> I am? Yes, you look like it. <laughs> well, I mean, ability to pay, at sort of my talking point with clients is usually it's a snapshot in time, real time, of your cash flow, basically. Your income less your allowable expenses. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. What what would be left over at the end of the month or the end of a given time period to fund your IRS tax bill? That's sort of my talking point with clients whenever we're discussing that. So you mentioned two things, and I guess we'll break it down right. since we're getting in the nitty gritty here. Yeah. Let's let's break it down. Right. Income and expenses. Right. Okay. So that's in general, and that's usually what I tell my clients too, you know, in general, it's your income and your expenses. Uh, I think we need to understand what income is and expenses. So income, since that's the easier one, I'll take that one. Oh, uh, that's everything you make and everything you earn, you know, it's your wages meaning kind of dividends, royalties, interest, anything that goes on income on your tax return uh, is going to be considered income. Passive income too, yes. not just, yeah. Yes. Right. O- oil royalties, anything. Any money you earn is going to be considered income and it's broken down into a monthly matter. So it's, it, yeah, it's it's factored monthly and, and the purposes for ability to pay, they determine your monthly income that's derived from all sources. And I guess I should say too, if people because it gets a little confusing on the income. We need to mention it. it's also social security. People think, well, my social security is not, not right. in, but it's, it is your income. And for purposes of the ability to pay your entire social security amount will be taken into consideration and be added as income. Right. It's your gross uh, income. Yeah. It's the gross income. It's everything that you have to, to spend on yourself and your family for the month. So social security, any other pension wages, Royalties, royalties, gambling, winning, yes, whatever. Anything, and, and, anything, uh, anything that you receive as income wage wise. You want to say so it's? I'm going to say it one more time. It's income. All right. One of the the big triggers here is 
calculating your income. So this is where the IRS takes advantage of people essentially not knowing what their the definition of what their income is. So if I'm self-employed, my income could be seasonal. It can vary. I may make a lot of I may have made a lot of money last year, but I'm not making a lot of money this year or you know, flip the script. It could be I'm making a lot now and I didn't make a lot last year. And so it's important when you're calculating income and you're not a wage earner making the same amount of money every single month that you understand that there is some artistry and there are some arguments to be made when you're presenting your income to the IRS. So if I'm up for example, we have a client who's in the lawn business. Their work is seasonal. They work a lot during the summer, make a bunch of money, you know, mid-year, and then everything kind of dies down. Crawfish farmers, we have a couple of crawfish clients. So crawfish farmer client. Crawfish, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have clients who are crawfish. Yeah, okay. Let's be clear. So be careful if you're calculating your income for purposes of determining your ability to pay that you understand and that you have some artistry in how you present that number to the IRS, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 Good point. I didn't and, need to and jump in. You're right. But, no, yeah. I was being general again, and I told him we were going to get in the nitty gritty. We probably do. So right. there is another point I think we should make it this too, because we're talking about small business, uh, you know, being self-employed, which a lot of these clients, but even wage earners, you know, uh, I've had several cases where, uh, or as a wage earner, but he worked a lot of overtime right? in the last month. That's and a one-time deal. The IRS looks at that, one, that last paycheck and they see that, oh, well, then they take all that income. That's the only time they work overtime in the whole, for the last three months. And so what do you do in those cases? And that's, I think, another case where people get taken advantage of because mm -hmm. the IRS just uses last paycheck and the people, it's a once, you know, it's right at Christmas and they're working a bunch of overtime or something like right. that. Right. How do they handle that? Well, when you calculate the income, you have to look at all of the different scenarios for a given client that are within within the acceptable lanes for the IRS, right? So, I mean, when we do it, we have a creative approach. As long as it's within the bounds, like I said, we'll calculate income based on multiple different scenarios. And whatever is the best picture for the client is what we come up with. It, it, yes. You know, it, it custom and crafting, custom crafting is important for what we do. There's no cookie cutter solution. So you're for, for 33, I'll, you know, we're married, obviously we have the same, might look different than somebody else in the same situation because your facts and your circumstances dictate that that's a better presentation for us to present on, on your behalf. Yeah. So income, since you use me as an example, would be a point that should made here if you're husband and wife, then it's going to be both both spouses' right. income. Right. And what if one of my children works and lives at home? Yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, all they income. They contribute to the household. It's uh, all household. income in the household is supposed to be considered. As right. Long as I contributing mean, to the typically household. they're not out looking for. A, yeah. I don't a, have any kids or any kid. children who are contributing to the household. I can tell you that. There's that's a lot, there's a lot being, there's a lot being taken out, but not a lot coming in. Anyway, no, that's I, a story for another day. We'll leave that. No, no, but you're right. Like even boyfriends or girlfriends, you know, or roommates, if you, the IRS becomes aware that you have anybody assisting you in your household with bills and whatnot, that becomes a fact in the income portion of, um, yeah. And boy, that's a big one too. I'm glad you brought that up because that is a big one. Yeah. 
when the, someone, you have know, roommates or something and or people are living together and they don't, you know, I don't want to be a part of that. I'm not giving you and it, you know, and the IRS is, if they're contributing to your household that you're living in and are reducing your expenses by contributing the money, then the IRS is. In, well, we need to have a conversation about that. Yeah. I mean, it's they're, not, they're a, it's be not asking, a given, it's not yes. an install be all, but it, it can be a factor in, in our analysis. Yes. In the analysis. Yeah. Okay. Right. So. There's usually, I mean, pretty much always, the IRS will, if you give an income number to the IRS, so let's just say I'm making $2,000 a month, they will audit that number. Well, they request bank statements and document documentation to prove your amount that you're claiming on this form, but they'll also audit that with your last tax returns. So if I say I'm making, you know, $24,000 a year, $2,000 a month, they're going to go look at my prior year tax returns. And audit that with my bank statements current. So, you know, if those don't match, it's not necessarily that it gets kicked out or it's not wrong. You just have to explain that. And that's important to consider that, you know, I guess my point being is there's some legwork on the IRS side that they do to audit and verify what you're sending and your what numbers you're using. Yeah, it's not taking it face. Yeah. No. It's not taking it face. And accuracy yes. is important. So you mentioned, and I guess we should say, since we're you know, trying to be particular here. You mentioned a form and we maybe glossed over that. I know in the materials that'll be on online, we have a snapshot of the right of uh, the form that's right. actually that's used. Yeah. But we didn't really talk about it. So the form is a four thirty three uh, for individuals. It's a statement. yeah, it's a yeah. collection information statement. And the IRS basically is going to require that in every case. That's really a financial statement. It, it's in, in the section that we're referring to is the monthly household income and expense section. And you know, if you ever ever have to complete one, you'll know what we're talking about. Right. It's going to ask for all this income that we discussed. So right. that would be what's included on your form. And as Angie referred to, in our practice, we work it, you know, three, four, five different ways. Right. Average six months, average three months, average the last three years. We project, project. Try to figure, yeah, mm -hmm. make it, you know, and, and come up with the best number that we can get for the client. So I would recommend that someone do that. I mean, don't just... Just get locked in on one. I made this this month and, and, and I'm locked here. in and you're but, done. And that's but, all you can do. You get a little creative and try to get that number because the simplest thing is the lower the number, the less ability to pay you're going to have. So the lower right. income number you got, you definitely don't want it exaggerated. Right. Because if you do, you're going to end up in a bad deal. Well, and that's, you know, I'm glad you said that because oftentimes it's clients and even practitioners confuse this part of our work, what we do with how much they owe, the taxpayer particularly owes. So your ability to pay, which is your income, we're still on the income factor, but your income minus your expenses is your ability to pay. What's left at the end of the month? How are you going to fund this payment plan or whatever you're going to propose? It might be zero, right? A lot of practitioners and taxpayers confuse that with how much they owe. So your ability to pay is your ability to pay regardless of whether you owe a million dollars or a thousand dollars. And so one that's just this analysis is totally independent from how much you owe and what your tax return, your tax bill is on your tax return. Now, the numbers, you know, the income and all the other numbers, the factors you use to get there are married in the sense that they audit and they reconcile them. But it's important to know that your ability to pay is it, it's not. A factor of how much you owe yeah. the IRS. Yeah. Right. 
So, yeah. so let's go ahead and cover the expenses section because that's a little bit more granular than income, actually, and it's a little bit harder to do. Well, I, I think find. people miss opportunities on the income side, so I, yes. I can't emphasize that enough. Like, it's and okay the, to be creative and honest with what you're you're going to make in the future. So, when they calculate expenses, uh, it's pretty much everything you need to, you know, every it's all the expenses you live. I mean, you need to live, and the form will go through the you know, basics, basically. food, clothing, housing. It, it there's a long list. Vehicle, food, clothing, shelter, right? Yeah. yeah. Health insurance premiums, you know, even child support payments or court ordered payments that you have to do. Right. Life insurance premiums, you know, your monthly taxes. And man, how many people that we see do this forget to include their monthly taxes? Right. And that's so important because if you don't put your monthly taxes, the IRS is not going to put it for you. And then you're going to end up getting a deal where you can't afford to pay your monthly taxes as you go. And then you're right back into the problem. Well, that's the problem. We, how often have we seen it? Yes. Clients call up the IRS off, you know, hoping to get some resolution. The first thing that IRS person does is start to take this financial statement over the phone. Right. Absolutely. Right. First I mean, and they don't even know what's happening. They just start giving out information and guessing over the f numbers and they end up in a payment plan, which is typical that they can't afford. Right. So back to the expenses, but yeah, it's, it's the list is in the show notes, but I mean, yeah, food, housing, utilities. And it's, that's taken straight payments. off the form. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the form, the 433 that we we're talking about, I mean, those expenses, you know, those aren't made up. Those are straight off of the 433. Right. But if they're they, not in this list, they're not factored in the formula. Right. Unless, unless you, you can do the other make a and, request. and you know how to justify doing you know, another right. uh, expense, which right. is not easy. And it's not that we always get other expenses included. Well, I mean, I would well, say depends. it's, it's I mean, very you difficult. May have a, a you got to have a legitimate. Right. You may yeah. have a state tax bill that you're funding that you can add, you know, yes. you can put on there. And, you know, but the same, I would point out though, too, the same thing applies with income as with expenses. You know, don't, don't just look at the last month and go the last month. I mean, right. Let's look back over, you know, six months, three months, last year. Let's try to average and see which ones are, in this case, higher. Mm -hmm. You want the most expenses, lowest income, most expenses gives you the lowest ability to pay. And that's what you want. I mean, you want a true, low, non-exaggerated ability to pay uh, number that's going to be used to determine your resolution option with the IRS. Uh, so you really know how to, you know, just like the income, you know how to work the expense side as well. So look at it and average it over six months, just like you were talking about with income. I would do the same with expenses, do that same thing. Yeah. So, so the only difference here, though, and in, in maybe I'll get you to explain it, is, you know, with expenses, we have, you know, these collection standards. You know, what are those? And it's not, you know, an income, it's just my income. It is a number. But in the expense section, the IRS has determined what's allowed expenses, you know, and in their infinite wisdom, they know how much it takes for us to live. Right. In, you know, either locally or nationally, depending on the expense. Right. So, yeah, why don't you explain that? Kind of go through well, that. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's not expenses. So it's not your raw expenses person by person by person. Income is, right? Yeah. But expenses are based on what the IRS deems allowable. And I think that's the big the key word. The trigger is allowable. Now, again, it's back to what they deemed allowable. So there are some ceilings for, you know, different housing, your housing and utilities. So you, if you, for example, you can't have a $5,000, I'm just picking a random, a $5,000 house note. They're only going to allow what's allowed at that given. And they do change. Right. So they increase it based on, but it's not, you know. And so the housing expense, there's a, a limit on there. The car expenses, there's a limit on. And 
if you put those raw numbers on your form and you get to your ability to pay and calculate it to be zero, for example, they're going to go back and add or subtract from your expenses. So it's going to change that number. They're they're going to stick to the standard. They're going to stick to the standard. Yeah. I mean, and and to argue something other, you know, a higher number than the standard is rarely am I successful. Uh, in that, but you can be. Well, like I mean, right now, we're, ask, we're asking for a deviation on the car expenses in our cases because of the price well, of gas. Price of gas. So if you're someone who has to drive for work and your mileage reimbursement rate is not matching what, right? What your cost, your it's actual costing cost you more is, to drive. and the IRS is not keeping up with these adjustments, right? They're not adjusting them every month based on the price of gas. I mean, that would be. They don't move that quickly. So uh, like an example, the collection I'm reading on the show notes here for food, clothing, and miscellaneous Mm -hmm. items, it's $785 for one person. Right. It's $1410 for two, $1610 for three. So it was really get a big drop there Mm -hmm. as a larger family. It's not a factor of one to one to one. The $1900 for four. Right. And then each additional person after that is $344. Right. So it goes on. So it depends how many people live in the house. And this standard, though, you know, what's neat about this one, good thing about it is you really don't have to prove it. You kind of just get to claim it. Yeah, it's just um, an automatic. I mean, they you don't, don't have to go spend. give a bunch of documents. I mean, they right. kind of allow this. So if you're going to go over, you better have the documents to support it and then ask for the deviation. But this is something that I see a lot of people make mistakes in because they don't really, they're not in considering like I have people that come in and say, oh, my one person household, it was $400. That's what I spent on food. I lived, and I'm like, well, wait, what about your clothes? And what about your other, mis- did you buy, you know, right. shaving cream? It, right. well, yeah, yeah, that's food. And they misunderstand. So they will actually go lower than the standard. Mm-hmm. And if you go lower than the standard, the, the IRS is going to stake the lower number. They're not going to give the standard. Right. So in no case should you have a 433 that has a number lower standard item on well i would say um, that most of the most of the items i've never had a situation where i asked the client once i asked the client okay are you sure it wasn't understood it it was all it's always yes more than yeah these numbers are not that it's not i know what it costs for me i know what it costs for a lot of people because we've done this a lot and yeah, it's, it is so rare. I've never had a situation where someone goes under, didn't meet right. the standard. So there's standards. And those are understand. in here, what they are, yes. like the number. The but there's standards for each expense, right. for the most part. Right, they're bare. Some are national, some are local. Local. And then you have to, you look up the chart is on IRS. or County. It's, it's yeah. irs.gov. Right. You can see the chart. You can see the expenses. Yep. You just type you in just allowable look, expenses. Yeah. You look them up and it, you know, and that should tell you for your situation, whether you're a family of four, you buy your single, whatever. You know, and you should be able to complete the form with the standards and get that. What about healthcare? You know, that's another one where I see people, uh, they, for whatever reason, they just put, you know, zero. I don't spend anything on healthcare. Everybody spends stuff on healthcare. You get your teeth cleaned, it's hopefully, you know, yeah, you get a checkup, just, you go to the walk-in clinic, you, right, you buy vitamins, kids, you buy this, you buy eyeglasses, yeah, there's so much. And, and the standard is $75 mm-hmm. per month, right? you know, and. And if you're over 65, it's a, it's a, it's a hundred, $153 a month. So, uh, those are expenses and this is a nationwide expense. So you don't have to look it up the national one. Right. Uh, and this is another expense, like we talked about, that doesn't really have to be substantiated. I mean, the IRS knows that your people are spending it, but but once again, that is, right. Look, I mean, come on. Once again, if you put zero though, guess what? The IRS is going to put zero. They're not going to go fill it in for you. Right. So, uh, 
you know, I would encourage anyone completing a 433 to at least go look at the standards and understand them and, and use that as your framework as the numbers that you're, that you're coming up. I mean, you know, people do, I'm thinking of a situation where someone put their current healthcare, uh, and out-of-pocket medical costs on their form. But in the process of actually our representation, one of the spouses was diagnosed with cancer. So we had a number on the form that was became inaccurate before we were, we had to rework the form again, mm-hmm. because guess what? This person was going to have anticipated, you know, chemo and medical, all this yes. other healthcare. So we had to go in and and project what the cost of those, of that healthcare was going to be or the treatments and whatnot was going to be and and basically just tell the IRS like this is what we think it's going to be and it made their ability to pay zero once we got that done so that's an example of where you know you've really got to be projecting what's not what just what happened in the past but what is going to happen in near future for you yeah yeah okay that's how the financial standards work we could go with a vehicle if you want but I mean it's they're all posted on the irs.gov there is a national standard, uh, you know, and then there's the regional standard for operating costs, but a national standard for, for the purchasing or, or, or for the payments, I guess. Right. For the payments that are allowed. Well, I think it's it, two vehicles per household, too. I think that's important to mention. Even not for a single household, they only get one. Correct. But if it's more than one person in the household, it's two. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and a single is 588 right. or payment. And so, and, and, you know, we often tell people, you know, that need a new car. They come in, they want to solve their problems and need a car. Like, go buy a car, but don't spend over 588. You, you need to go buy a car because if, if we don't have a car payment and we put zero on the form, they're going to take it at zero. And then next year, you're going to need a new car and you're not going to be able to afford it because you're going to be paying the IRS right. the money that you need to be using the car. So we got to, you got to work your numbers and get them right, yep. you know, and get your, get strategy. your situation right, right before you go to the IRS. And some people don't want a new car. Right. Now, they would rather pay their the IRS because that's what it, it typically washes. You're either going to pay your car note, which is allowed, or you're, you're within that if, that ceiling, or you're going to pay your payment plan to the IRS yeah, or well, whatever we that's, do, we, that's, we land. With. And that was the point I was going to make. Right uh, before we left, I remembered. I don't, I don't know if we were clear, and I want to be clear about this about the the ability to pay because and if your resolution option is uh, an installment agreement. Uh, not, you know, just a simple install agreement, not a streamline or anything like this. Right. Where a financial agreement, based one. Right. A right. financial based installment agreement. It's not on any of the programs or any fresh start or any of that stuff. It's mm. just a basic, which is the majority of cases that we deal with anyway. Um, your ability to pay is the, ends up being the amount of your installment agreement with the IRS. Right. So if you end up having a exaggerated ability to pay, then your payment to the IRS is going to be exaggerated. Well, it's it's something be, you can't afford. It's going to be very painful. Right. If you work it correctly and get it right, you get a good number that you should be able to afford with your expenses, then you get a decent number and you got to, you get an installment agreement that you can live with. So it's right. this stuff is very important, which is for us, you know, when the IRS, when the first thing they do is start doing the 433, when somebody calls needing assistance, so they start, it's right. so unfair because the taxpayers aren't realizing that that's the numbers that are going to be used to determine their payment. Right. These payments, you know, on these installments aren't just picked out of the air. Right. I mean, they're not well, just they made up. Be. Yeah. It, it's based on this financial information and they should know and the IRS is not allowed to make you pay more than your ability to pay. Well, the 
you know, without, I mean, there are exceptions, of course, but for the yeah. most part, the IRS is not going to force you to pay more than your ability to pay. Um, you know, but they also are not allowed to accept less than your ability to pay, you know, without getting some kind of approval and a lot of other things. So, I mean, the basic general rule is your ability to pay is going to equal your payment. That's, that's how you ought to approach it, unless you really know how to deal with the IRS and you deal with it before and you know how to deviate off of that. But for the most well, part, that's, that's going to be the rule. That's where it's going to end up. Right. I mean, the hard, the really hard cases for us, and I think you can attest to this, are when the ability to pay based on just the allowables, not factoring in other expenses, like you don't get to put that in the formula, so they're not allowed, mm -hmm. but they're real expenses. When those are not allowed and the ability to pay comes in too high. Well, that the, the classic one technically is, is not private, affordable. private school tuition or college tuition. Yeah, college tuition, which, right. you know, a lot of people pay and, and want to pay, but those are not allowed uh, expenses in the IRS's wisdom world. So, uh, you know, so those ability to pay, the ability paper. to pay is going to be a lot higher than what you're going to show in a 433 because you're not allowed to include those expenses for the most part. And those are very difficult cases. Those require a lot of conversation with clients on how to yes. how to get them to a place they can and, afford and, the, and, the payment plan. Yeah, and we should also add too. You know, we we talked a lot about installment agreements, but you know, in other resolution this is options, everything. the offer this is going to apply to everyone. Everything, you know, the settlement, the offer and compromise, which I think we've talked about already, maybe in an earlier podcast. Yeah. Not, we'll talk, I'm sure it'll come up because we do it because the offer and compromise. You know, the trick to getting a good offer is not having an ability to pay. Are All goes low. back to the same form, right? Same 433, which is going to be required in every case. If you have a hardship, if you want to convince the IRS your hardship, which is which they call cur currently not collectible status, you better not have an ability to pay. You better be able to convince them that you do not have an ability to pay, that you are in a hardship right? or you're not going to get it. So right. the 433, you know, it's no, not just limited point. to the installment agreement. It applies to every resolution option. The IRS is the first thing they're going to do. That's why when you make that phone call, yeah. And they finally answer, and it's, it takes a long time to get them to answer. <laughs> but let's just say they together. finally answer. Right. They're immediately going to start asking you about income and expenses. And they're completing, on their end, they're completing a 433 based on what you tell them. Right. Then they're going to have you fax pay stubs and check stubs. They're not going to be trying to average and do anything no. that you need to be doing what's in your best interest. They're going to be doing what's in their best interest. Government's and they're going to be trying to get that number, your bill to pay as high as they can. Yeah, so That's a great point. This, the beginning of this financial statement, the linchpin of the case, because yes. it's done in every case, based regardless of what your resolution plan yeah. is going to well, be. Well, frankly, you know, from our perspective or from anybody's perspective, you can't really know what's in the best interest of a taxpayer until you complete this. See this picture. And you complete this. I mean, this, that's, that's what I was, when I started out with it. We're kind of getting the nitty gritty here because this is every case. This is what we do. We know how to work the magic on solving these cases is with these 433s. If, if somebody does a bad job, 433, they're going to get a bad deal. It's just the way it works. And if you do a great job on the 433, then you get a pretty decent deal. And that's just how it is. It is that important. I think we kind of covered this. Yeah, just be careful. Make sure you, it's accurate. Uh, and the other thing is it, it, you do have to sign this. The end product, oh, there's yeah. some other components uh, to it. Uh, so it's kind of an important point. Too. Important. Yeah. It is subject um, to purge. Once you've nailed down this document, if it gets submitted to the IRS, the taxpayer, not us, 
nobody in our firm can sign on your behalf this document. It, you sign it under penalty of perjury. And we have yeah. had some clients, not under our watch, essentially, but um, where the government's questioned the accuracy of their information. Yeah. And when you do that, the IRS will refer it to the criminal division. Right. And whole that's, new ball a, game. that's a whole new ballgame. Your liberties game. is that's not a, your property. Yeah. And your liberties is that's safe. a different world there. So right. uh, we, we could talk about that another, another day. Another time. Yeah. So anything else? Yeah. Just send us off then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, a lot of information about collection information statements, nitty gritty, like Carrie said, but uh, we are here to help standing ready. If anybody has questions or comments or needs any additional assistance, let us know. We can always be reached at BrysonLawFirm.com. So uh, give us a shout and thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.